you'll see the chairs uh, set up at the front because the school had their play last night, well, actually Friday and Saturday. But I was sharing that a few years ago, we actually utilized all of these chairs and even some of the metal chairs for Christmas Eve and for the Easter service. So we just pray, not for numbers, but that God might have us just look at a chair, a reminder, like, who could I invite that God might want to fill that chair, to come with me through the doors? We are going to have light refreshments following the Christmas Eve service, so we don't have to stay forever and clean up forever. But uh, there will be light refreshments. If you'd like to bring something light, you are certainly invited to do so. But even more to introduce people to the hope of Jesus. The Advent Sunday, this third Sunday is, anybody know? It's hope. It's, what was last week? Faith, hope, faith. And today is Joy. It is joy. And if you were at our life group on Wednesday, you uh, heard that we are to be a people that scatter joy. We are to be people that produce joy in others. Sometimes we do not produce joy in others. We are like the holy sandpaper that God uses to rub off the uh, coarse edges of others. I would like people to be more producing of joy than that coarse sandpaper that God uses, but we are reminded that this is joy. So we give cheerfully. So many uh, hats and gloves have come in that we've been able to give away to those employees at Top Notch, that we've been able to uh, help people continually with. Uh, we don't we don't do gas cars, so if anybody's wondering, I would meet them at the gas station and fill their vehicle with gas. We know that's what uh, it's being used for. We also have been giving gift cards to local supermarkets. And what a great time of year that the church continues to give and show God's love in a practical way. So we thank you for your continue giving because we are trying to produce joy in others and that joy can only come from knowing Jesus. As we looked at, as we concluded last week from Acts 5, then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. They left jail. Actually, an angel broke them out of jail and the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence for they, the captain and the temple guards, were afraid the people would stone them. But as I had this last week, and I was beginning with it this week, they arrested the apostles, but without violence. Without violence. What does that mean? It means that there was no resistance. The apostles did not say, stop, I have my rights. They did not say, hey, we have all these followers, so come to my back and help me lead this uh, revolt against these religious leaders that have it wrong. There was no resistance from the apostles, from the Christians. They were going back to jail because they learned to submit to the authority that God had put in place. It's kind of an interesting thought. We go on to verse 28. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. That's the name of Jesus. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Acts, the book of Acts, written by Dr. Luke to his friend Theophilus. It's Dr. Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then this is part two. And it's also in Acts where it says, when you receive power from the Holy Ghost, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, it will expand. And already the name of Jesus has filled Jerusalem and it's about to expand more and more. 
They were strict orders never again to teach. They were told, like, this is a command. This is from the law. Even though they did not revolt when they were arrested, they said, well, I understand your strict orders, but there's more that I can do. If you were given strict orders that you can't carry a Bible to school or your workplace, you can't have the Bible app on your mobile device, that you can't do certain things that you you know that we know that God wants us to be a part of, we could use this phrase, well, preach always when necessary, use words. And it came out at our small group, and I've heard it said before that St. Francis of Assisi never said this. So if you said St. Francis of Assisi once said, well, he didn't, and we can have a conversation after that. It's a good thought, and there's a lot of ways to practice that. Preach always when necessary, use words. But when necessary, when God tells you to use words, that you can come into a place and say, I have the love of Jesus, and because God loves me, I need his forgiveness. I don't deserve it, but that's grace, and grace is, well, man, I feel like I'm taking advantage of it. I'm taking grace for granted, and that's what is so amazing about grace, is you can't take advantage of it. And you don't deserve God's forgiveness, but go to him, and he forgives you nonetheless because he loves us that much. And then we go to verse 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So I kind of try to put myself in the story, like what happened? They were in jail. They're free from jail. God tells them to go preach where they can get caught and not be in, uh, in hiding. And so they go and, of course, they're caught again. It's like, God, this is kind of weird. Like, what's the plan? What's the story? Well, they get arrested after being, because it's so obvious what they're doing and where they are, and they get arrested and they go, but they go, and I would suggest that God's plan was that they would give testimony that, hey, we have to obey God rather than you. Like, we could have revolted and we could have like stuck to our guns or whatever the expression is and just said, no, we're not. But in a uh, congenial manner, in a polite manner, in the proper place. They actually had a conversation with people and said, I understand you're the authorities, and I understand that you don't want us to do this anymore, but we have to obey God rather than you. What if? How about when it used to be people could have conversations, whether, yes, I'll bring it up again, whether it's about political things. You didn't say, nope. You're wrong. I'm on my side. I'm not talking to you. But we could have a conversation. Like, that's an interesting point. Like, I think Jesus actually really would act in that way. But, like, if you look from this angle, too, like how Jesus lived and how he called his disciples, I think he would do this, too. And what if we began to have more conversations instead of, like, sticking to our guns and digging in uh, our side and bigging, building our uh, group to be more powerful than another group? What if we just had conversations that revealed, I understand and I respect you, but... We must obey God rather than human authority. There was the calling, the purpose, the ministry of the apostles. It's the same as us. It's to go and make disciples. This is what they witnessed Jesus doing. This is what they heard Jesus telling. And this is what they had to do, which is the same for us. This is the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've given, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, not just, I find it amusing, but I won't say it, so never mind. It's not that amusing. So uh, of all nations, 
of everyone God brings us, as everyone that God puts you in contact with, to work with, to see, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to, you could say it, teach these new disciples to, we must obey God rather than men. Teach these new disciples to, all the commands I have given you, this is Jesus speaking, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our hope, that we must obey God rather than people, because God wants us in our teaching people to obey, we too are obeying. As we teach people to obey, they see our witness, they see how we live, they see our testimony, and we are obeying through the struggle. It doesn't have to be a sprint. It could be a crawling on your knees. It could just be standing firm, lifting the shield of faith at times. But we are obeying God as we are teaching others to obey Him. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Verse 31, early on, then God put him in a place of honor at his right hand. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. His enemies are his footstool. I go back to this because I heard it and it really uh, meant something to me. And I go back to it because usually I go back to things that mean a lot to me. And so Jesus is seated at the right hand of God with his enemies as his footstool. He has his feet up. He is resting. He is relaxing. He is not nervous about what's taking place in this world because he has a plan. He's not concerned about what might happen because he knows that his daddy is the one in charge and is going to win out. And as his followers, we are are hidden with Christ and God. And so when we get worked up, when we're filled with anxiety, we can become eager for God's good will to happen, not anxious for what we wonder might happen. Charles Swindoll preached a sermon on this a few weeks ago, the difference between being eager for something and being anxious for something. Uh, the girls had a scrimmage yesterday. Uh, Bethany's coaching Harwood. Their first game is Monday at Montpelier. If you'd like to go, 5.30 JV, 7 o'clock varsity, we'd love to have you there. But there was a girl that said, oh, I'm so anxious for the game. And it probably was because I was cocky, overconfident. I just didn't really understand the uh, legitimate or what was going to take place. But I was never anxious. I was so excited for the game because, like, I might get to play. I might score a basket. Like, somebody might, like, see me. Like, I just thought it was like so cool I was never anxious and just this girl reminded me of Chuck Swindoll that anxiety is like I'm, I'm kind of fearing the game I have worry about the game I'm kind of concerned about the game but being eager is like I can't wait there's an anticipation there's this waiting but oh I hope it comes soon and that is Advent we wait with anticipation. Now, oh, I'm anxious that Jesus might show up, but with eagerness for God's will to be done and happen in our lives. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey Him. Those who know about Him, those who talk about Him, those that believe in Him, or those who obey in Him. Something about witnesses, they must testify in the, uh, not documentary, 
Oh my goodness, my mind just slipped. Uh, my resource, not encyclopedia. What? The commentary. Oh my goodness. In researching the sermon, sermon in the commentary, it says specifically to this verse, we are witnesses of these things. It said that witnesses must testify. <clears throat> the uh, Greek word for witnesses is martyr, but in this context, it's not martyr. It's as in a courtroom that they were called on to give testimony. It was not a witness that wasn't called to give testimony, but in this specific context, it was a witness to testify what had been done, what they had seen. We are witnesses of these things. You have to testify. I'm going to preach always and when necessary use words. I'm going to kind of keep it to myself and I'll just smile or I'll throw some money in the Salvation Army bucket if they ring the bell loud enough and they really stare at me and then they make me feel guilty. And I'm like, oh, I have a 20 in my wallet. And then, well, I have like some change in my car. So I'll go to my car and get the change and throw it in because I feel guilty. That's not what this is talking about. This is the witnesses must testify. There's something within us that it can't help but being uh, overflow and spill out because God's truth we've experienced. Peter and John, who Luke is telling his friend Theophilus about, they were with Jesus. And because they were with Jesus, they experienced the goodness of Jesus. But they also saw him flogged and knew about him being put on a cross and dying. They also were told by women, like, hey, Jesus isn't there anymore. And Peter's like, what do you know, woman? Like, I'm going to race John and see what the temple or what the grave has. And there is nobody in the tomb. And this is why they gave witness, because they had actually experienced who Jesus is. It was more than something they had heard, more than something that had been taught, more than something that a grandparent had exposed them to. They personally had witnessed Jesus. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill the apostles. But there was this guy, Gamaliel. He was an eminent Pharisee. He was Saul's teacher of the rabbinical education, Saul, who became Paul. This is one of the highest of the highest. His grandfather was known throughout the land as being the uh, eminent, which means important, I guess, Pharisee. And so as a grandson, he was trying to carry this on, but God gave him great wisdom. And he said, so my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning on doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. Sometimes within the Christian world, this is maybe more for pastors than it is for a congregation, but at times within the Christian world, we start looking at other Christian ministries and we point fingers and flaws at their theology or their ministry or how they do things. And we think like they ought to just be like us. Or I don't know if I would suggest people go to their church because I'm concerned about this, 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 and this. And what if we took this approach? Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. God exposes truth and he exposes lies. So if we allow people to follow Jesus, then lift them up and pray and intercede that what they're doing is in the name of Jesus. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be uh, finding yourselves fighting against God. So, in a true confession, I confess and I've repented and I fear that sometimes when I look at another Christian ministry, I'm like, oh, I could do that better. I do that different. 
And how much pride is that to say, hey, just stay focused on what God's called us to. Well, I have a concern. Well, don't concern yourselves with other people because don't you have enough concern for today with everything that's taking place in your own life? Just focus on Jesus and make Jesus known. And if somebody else is saying, well, I'm trying to lift up Jesus. And we think, well, they're all about numbers. Or they're, I'm trying to be about Jesus. But they're all about the fancy uh, light show and fog machines. Like, let them worry about that. Let's us worry about Jesus and just pray for others in those situations that they would just seek God and know him. You would not be able to overthrow them. You may even be, find yourselves fighting against God. Let's not fight against God and say like, oh, I wish they had canceled their Christmas Eve service and come to ours. How about Christians at local churches reach out to their neighbors? Because if this town, how many people are in Waterbury, Waterbury area? Like 6,000 roughly? If there are not 6,000 people that go to churches, so if we just worried about our own local church and we reached out to who God wanted us to, instead of worrying about the person down the street, we pray, we intercede, and we just ask that God would reveal truth to all places, then maybe we'd see, well, the truth of God impacting more and more people's lives. And that's why we have the joy of the Lord as our strength. Because it's not because we get what we want, but we see joy scattered in other people in other places. The others accepted his advice. They called the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council. What? Okay, let, let's back up. I know you know this. I know we've been in church before. I know we understand Jesus was flogged before he was crucified, the cat of nine tails. The Roman centurions knew exactly uh, how to get people to the point of death without killing them, because to kill them, it would have been a crime. So it was 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. It was a, a, a whip with nine strands of leather baked in clay. And at the end, it had bone, it had uh, um, stone, and some even had glass. And the Roman centurion would do a crow hop. And of course, if you saw the movie The Passion, it's a great depiction of what it would do with the rock. It would just bruise or break, and the bone and the glass, it would just tear and rip 39 times to the point of death without killing them. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. Wait, they were ordered to be flogged. No angel came and rescued them. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Well, they didn't like the political sign I had on my yard this year, and I feel really offended that they would say such a thing. Well, you know, they talk badly about me or I see them in the corner and they're laughing and I know it's about me. I see them way off and they're probably talking to somebody else, not even about you. But yeah, I just know that they're laughing about me because there's something that I'm just a Christian. It's poor me. They were flogged and they considered themselves worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Now on that point, can I say it? Don't be stupid. Like, don't say, hey, I'm going to be a martyr for Jesus and say something stupid so people just make fun of you because that's just being 
well, foolish. Grace is here, so I probably shouldn't say stupid, but she didn't hear it anyway. But um, so there's something that you don't have to bring on. Just live. Jesus and how he loves from the place of joy, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that he cares about you. And then when people do things or say things that others say, that is so ridiculous. Like, I don't, I don't even believe it. I think there's a scripture in the Bible. I'm going to tie it in with this illustration. Um, there was somebody that said to me that I focus too much on discipleship and evangelism. I shouldn't be a pastor anymore. And the person that said that, like, they kind of hurt my feelings. They kind of made me sad inside. Like, I have feelings too, you know. So I just got a little weepy. But then another friend said, Jeff, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, why are you feeling sad about something somebody said that has no understanding of what the Bible calls us to? And you're feeling sad? It's just stupid. It's a lie from Satan to get you discouraged. Stop thinking about what they said and start thinking about the truth of what Jesus says. And my friend just saying that's like, oh. But what does Satan do? He makes lies look so good. Lies, like whether it's temptations or lies about ourselves. We're just like, oh, I guess I'm not very good. But Jesus says, you're holy, you're righteous, you're royal. Let's start believing what Jesus says instead of others because it's an honor to be included with who, who God sent for us. They were flogged, but they left rejoicing. God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And we finished up this chapter, and every day in the temple, and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Advent. We wait for Jesus, the second coming. This was, they share that Jesus is here. Jesus came. After being jailed, after being flogged, after being given strict orders not to continue, they said, hey, we have to follow God. There was a resolve within them, a surrender that it did not matter that when they were tempted, it was already a surrender. <clears throat> so when you surrender, you're like, uh, I've already given up. It's not like you can surrender then unsurrender or you probably really shouldn't, or maybe you get shot if you're in the uh, military, if you do that. You're just like, yeah, I'm surrendered. So if you're surrendered to God and he tells you to do something, it's not like that. There is a fight because there's what we want to do, but there's this resolve that I'm just going to follow Jesus. And therefore, every day, every day, what if it was said about you, about me, about us, every day, whether in church or from house to house or restaurant to restaurant, we continue to teach and preach and share with others the joy of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that forgives. He's the one that helps. He's the one that gives us joy. So Bethany uh, ordered the Advent wreath and candles because it looks kind of silly to read, like, and now we're going to light the Advent candle, but we don't have the candles. But I did not go to the post office to pick them up, so I'm not going to read that part about lighting the candle. But I am going to read this, Hebrews 12, 2. Think about they were flogged, and they left rejoicing. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. 
He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne with his feet up for the joy set before him. So this is from crosswalk.com. These are the um, different Advent readings. The third Sunday of Advent, we are invited to reflect on the joy we have access to because of our faith in Jesus, even the joy of being flogged for the name of Jesus. One of the defining characteristics of Christ followers is their joyful demeanor. Maybe we need to change that sometimes because we have more of a sputter sputter demeanor. Let's not allow the struggles of this year steal from the great joy we have because of Jesus. Because in Philippians it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Over this Advent, would you pray that the joy of the Lord would be evident in your heart and in your home? When your crazy uncle shows up, when that relative that always sleeps on your couch comes over, that we would have patience with them, that we would understand that God loves them. May God's Spirit transform the days leading up to Christmas into a time of holy anticipation, preparing our hearts as we joyfully await the opportunity to celebrate the arrival of our King, of our King of our King, the one that we submit to because he first loved us. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us that we might know his salvation. Won't you stand as we just close? Music team, you can come up. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. And oh God, when we are in the middle of chaos, in the darkness, we thank you that you are with us. That we are still filled with joy, even though the circumstance might not call for it. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.